All right. So we were scheduled to come back today, the 25th. Here we are. We're back. The good news is, hi, we're back. And we are bringing you out of town the first episode from season three of Mad Men. The bad news is we got to go back on break. Um, Listen, people, there have been some medical issues. Uh, My family, me, everybody so far seems to be okay. File that again under good news. But um, all the time that was supposed to be spent getting caught up, getting ahead on behind the scenes editing didn't happen. So yeah, that's the deal. It's real life. We'll see you in a few weeks. I'm not committing to a date yet. This is all me, in case that's not clear. Dan's like, can we just make some Mad Men podcasts? And we're gonna, I swear we are. We're we're doing it. I'm just not, we're just not there. I can't, I can't guarantee you a weekly podcast yet. So please continue to hold. We love you and we thank you for our patience. Your patience. I just got the greatness of Lane's name. No, oh sure. Lane Price, Price is all about the money. Price Hooker, Duh. right. It's so all funny. everything's everybody's got a name <laughs> means fifty things. Don Draper um, draped. He he dons a drape. That's right. It's a good I always think of that. So good. Mad Men. A term coined in the late 1950s to describe the advertising executives of Madison Avenue. They coined it. I just want everything to be perfect. I want her to come into our home at its best. (laughs) Welcome to They Coined It, Dan! Welcome back, Roberta. Welcome back, Dan. Well, that was a long break. It felt like, I don't know, longer than it was. But we're on to season three. That's the beauty. That's Mad Men. That's uh, we're here. Here we go. 1963. What happens in 1963 again? Um, I don't know. There's a historical event. It seems to loom over everybody's activities. The audience knows and the characters don't. But I don't know. We'll get to that. <laughs> Listen, more importantly, am, is it just me or is that ad that comes out of this episode, the Limit Your Exposure ad? Yeah. I, I'm not there. Like, I think that's a horrible ad that, that never rang to me as like Don's anywhere in his top 50, right? Guy opening his trench coat, someone on the, on the, on the subway is seeing him and he's evidently undressed. You know, it's not, it's toasted. It's not, uh, it's not Kodak. I mean, this, th- I don't know what that limit your exposure and that ad is horrendous to me. Exposure to the elements? Okay, the guy's on a train. You're saying flasher art, not a great advertisement? No. That's what you're suggesting? I don't get it for London Fog. (laughs) I don't get it for what it's supposed to be. It It seems like it's very contrived to... Have Sal have his moment at the end of, you know, right. oh, what's the guy look like? And he describes vaguely the guy he nearly um, made it with in his hotel room. And it stands out because that's so not Mad Men. That's my point. Either it's so not Mad Men or is Don Draper losing his shine. Yeah, okay. Either Matthew Weiner, either Matt, either Matt Weiner is or Don Draper is. And I, it could be either. We have so many other faux you know, ads that suit the plot and suit the environment and the vibe of whatever's going on. Not really a spoiler, but I'll take you to the next season opener with the Jansen um, bathing suit people. 
they create a fa- phony ad that is uh, that is that has dub- that has references to whatever was going on in the episode in that. But in that one, it plays perfectly. It's a great ad. It seems like something Don and the agency would pitch. Like that. That's the right version of that. But this one, no, no, no go. We go on in this show to make many more great ads. <laughs> And some lesser great ads. And you're not wrong. It does sound like, it does feel like now that you now that you bring this up, it feels like they came up with the tagline as a punchline <laughs> exactly. for Sal exactly. and re- and and retrofit an ad. Yeah. And it it's a terrible ad. It's we it's very and the fact that it is lewd seems to be right? an unpleasant message. Right. And that could be of the times, you know, where 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 Don is, you know, obviously saw him in a compromised moment that probably neither of them wanted to 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 have happen so is it don's is it of the you know of the of the time where to be homosexual was to be lewd and to be indiscriminate and all these things you know and and so is but i didn't really get that and i've never gotten that vibe from don that he would you know have that kind of prejudice but who knows um it hasn't been addressed with that out of town was written by matthew weiner directed by phil abraham Original air date was August 16th, 2009, and takes place sometime in April, 1963. There we are. This episode is, as I think we indicated, first episode of season three. We've got this post-merger agency here. Last thing we saw was Don swinging his cock around the conference room with the uh, the, the first merger meeting and... and- missed that actual visual that you're referencing. Oh, oh you did, huh? You weren't you weren't uh, paying maybe, attention then. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I'm in my phone. There you go. Jesus. But this is now post post merger. We see there's layoffs. We meet this guy named Lane Price. They're cutting uh expenses at the agency and And Mr. Hooker. Mr. Hooker. John Hooker. I do like that guy, but I, you know, spoiler, we don't get to see enough of John Hooker. There should be more John Hooker in Mad Men. Somehow he, he didn't have room to run, but um, yeah, we meet. I didn't, I never, I never needed more John Hooker. <laughs> no, another, another casual prostitution reference on Mad Men. So there's also account maintenance work being done. The whole premise of this trip to Baltimore in this episode is around, you know, reassuring continuity, uh, continuity of service. After uh, we see his name just escape my Bert Peterson, the Bert Peterson head of accounts who we'd never met. No, we'd heard of him. <laughs> we'd heard his name, but that was all. And it's it's a different Bert and it's uh, the other spelling of B-U-R-T, Bert. B-U-R-T, right. I, I, there are people in my life who call me Bert, so I understand the world of Bert's. I also actually know a Dr. Bert Peterson. Oh. Um, which is why I never forgot his name. <laughs> That's one of these great character actors too. You look him up. Yeah, exactly. He's in everything all free ever. And and he's written so that he has both a wonderful entrance and exit for the show all together in, in one in one fell swoop. We meet him and say goodbye. It's sort of the anti Jerry Maguire scene of like in the getting fired. Oh, exactly. In fact, I love his line. That he, as he's walking out of Cooper's office, is one of my favorite lines in the show. See on the bread lines, fellas. I love when he says that. Because these characters experienced bread lines. These, these, these characters were children during the Depression, in many cases. Or, not, or, or young adults, or even adults in Bert Cooper's case. The, the, the Depression was barely 30 years ago. 
So for us, this is the 90s. Yeah, it's wild. I remember the 90s. The bread lines was a real thing. This wasn't like a saying. So anyway, him saying that always makes me kind of chuckle. Firing Burt Peterson was this great vehicle for taking us in (laughs) to this new world, into this new agency. Oh, you know, we see everything that's happening. We see that there's been layoffs. the Brits are in power now and the balance has shifted. So that's the, that's the, the, the context of everything here. We see Joan with her new sec with Lola, <laughs> her right. new secretary. That's where we get to meet John Hooker. Well, that's we Peggy's secretary. Whole, what did I say? You said Joan and her secretary, oh, but it was Peggy. No, no, I meant Peggy. I was picturing Peggy. But we see, but we, but we see Joan dealing with the fallout, right? We have these wonderful sequence, this wonderful sequence with with Joan and Mister Hooker, and the whole. Um, Thing where he's the secretary, but secretary means something different. I mean, and and we get the update on Joan that she's talking about not being here for much longer. Right, know, actually, exactly. That actually started in the elevator with Peggy. Now that I, I start talking through, but like that whole opening sequence. Look, anytime you start a season, you need to start. It's, a a, it's like starting a new. Yeah. It's a reset. Yeah. Mad Men started with Peggy's first day and Peggy on the elevator. And now it's Peggy on the elevator with Joan, mm. and we're and and we're walking into a new world, right. and we're we're introduced to a new world really through the firing of Burt Peterson. That's right, and it it kicks off everything. It kicks off the trip to Baltimore. It kicks off uh, how we see Joan. It kicks off Peggy, and anyway, we're off to the races here with this third season. But we start actually outside the office. We start with Don making some warm milk for Betty, who's now well into her pregnancy, and we see a different series of flashbacks that we've never seen before. I mean, really out of the blue, right? New phone, new flashbacks, man. Like it's a, it's a whole different, it's a whole different, they start familiar, but then you realize as you start thinking about what you're seeing as he's stirring the milk, you know, what you're seeing is this childbirth and, and, and now you're seeing some flash forwards and you realize this is all in Don's imagination. Right. Because this is Don's birth. This is Don's origin story. Well, Dick's origin story. Dick, right. Ra- rather, that's that's right. It's Dick Whitman's origin story, and it's either his fantasy. It's definitely his fantasy. He may, we don't, we, there's a possibility that the, I can't remember the name, the, the character's name, the woman who delivered him, at, delivered him twice. So it's possible that he meets her, has interacts with her and she has told him bits and pieces that's possible right so either that happened or it didn't but regardless it's fleshed out in his fantasy this is his fantasy it's certainly it's certainly fleshed out i i question whether it's a fantasy fantasy in the sense of like my impression was always that it was an amalgam of things he'd been told by whomever whether it was his dad's new wife who obviously did not enjoy raising him um and did not show him love Maybe what he was told by other family members or his, like, you just, like, I got the sense that it wasn't purely made up. It, there was something to, and the reason why I always thought that it was is that it was, it was steeped in the fact that his name was Dick, which came from some sort of, you know, that there's a, there was a context to that. To that uh, but he could have, he could have made it up. He could have made it up. That seems oddly specific for anybody to make up. I mean, Take his dick and boil it. Uh, hog fat no, is no, not something that seems oddly specific to, to have made up, but you never know. We don't know. But I took I took it somewhat at face value that that this was a, a version he'd been told about from the from fr- from the 
prostitute part of uh, that his mom's a prostitute um again whore child to being delivered to the house where his dad was and how it all played out Th- those basic beats i took to at face value when i say fantasy i don't mean fantasy like i know like preferred <laughs> dream girl <laughs> fantasy it's just he's spinning this the mythology of his again of his origin and it gives him comfort. You can see that. You can see he has some happiness. And what's wonderful is it, it ties in with Sally. That's right. At the end of the episode, tell me again. My, my origin about story. About the day yeah. I was born. And you and I have talked about this. Children love to hear about their own births, their own childhood. Like they love and they want to hear it again right. and again and again. And Don is self-soothing. That's right. You got me in the habit of asking, why Why now? Why is he having this fantasy now? Well, we learn it's his his original birthday. When we learn it's his birthday. That's right. Which, like, we've never... Th- I, did you ever wonder? I never wondered. You don't, you don't realize <laughs> the depth of the predicament that Don's put himself into, lifelong predicament now, that he can't celebrate his own birthday. <laughs> it's amazing. He celebrates a fake he birthday celebrates every year. Anna Draper's ex-husband's birthday so uh, just so so you begin to go oh wow how weird must that be that's weird and he alone bears that and that and so so yeah the 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 why now is is answered um midway through the episode but the other thing that that for me it calls back to is i think it was ladies room second episode second episode where don refers to himself as moses right going down the river maybe in a basket Baby in a basket. And so this is him being delivered in a basket, not sent down the river, but kind of sent away, sent sent to fend for himself in, in some sense. Sent to enemy territory, for sure. Right. Uh, almost upon being brought into the world. That I always thought was an interesting, that, he, that that Moses thing wasn't, if we're to take this not as a piece of fiction made up by other people, <laughs> but, but that he didn't, that wasn't a random um, metaphor that he used. Or, right. or instance of, you know, playing around with stuff. There was something to that. There was a basket. There was a basket, and he was sent sent forth. What does that mean, and how does that all come together? I don't know. Maybe others can can piece more of, put, put other pieces together. But it's certainly worth calling out, right, the Moses reference. It's pretty wild. Oh, definitely. I just wanted to back up to picture it. <laughs> you are a Mad Men fan waiting for this new season. And we've been through this now only one other time where we're, you know, we're fans watching in real time and we're waiting for a new season. You don't know what to expect. And the anticipation has been building, yeah. you know, we're, we're not binging it. We're watching in real time. And we've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And you never know what you're going to get. And you know it's going to be a little different. And in this, in, in this case, you absolutely know it's going to be different because it's going to be a different version of the marriage than you've ever seen. <laughs> And a different version of agency life than we've ever seen. And you just don't know what you're going to get. But whatever it is that makes Mad Men Mad Men, which is basically part of the point of this podcast, is to sort of decipher what is the DNA of Mad Men, right? But it's always there. 12 seconds in and you're like, it's weird and it's wonderful and it's Mad Men. It's, It's unbelievable. It's... It's great storytelling, really, at the end of the day, right? It's just, it, it's masterful, um, long-form storytelling. And, you know, Matt, Matt Weiner's also, uh, often been compared, and he's 
know, this whole golden age of television thing, that the closest thing there is to it from a narrative sense would be the age of the novel, you know, Dickens and these things would appear in the newspaper, paid by the word, right? <laughs> these things would appear in the newspaper every week, like a serial, like a series. And the story would just go on and people would talk and it would, where's it going? And you can kind of extend out these, these play the long game with, with so many different things. This is a wonderful, I always talk about brushstrokes, right? These are more brushstrokes on who is Don. You know, we talked about the origin story, the origin story of Dick Whitman we're, we're looking at here and Don's interpretation of it. Mm. And that's after two seasons of exploring the origin story of Don Draper. Right. How, did we, right. how did we get from a guy on a train having deserted the army to being the ad guy that we meet in 1960? It, it gives us all these widening vistas for, for, for these subjects. Masterful storytelling. I love Don with Pregnant Betty. <laughs> Again, you don't know what to expect. You don't know what you're going to be walking into on this marriage. Right. And what you see is two very different things in well, this episode. Well, shorter gap, right, than last than the last break between seasons one and two. We, we pretty much know that. Yeah, we, we don't have to endure that. Yeah. <laughs> but, it's, but it's a couple months. She's, she's now very pregnant or, yeah, very pregnant, I think you could say. Yeah, it's October, November, whatever it was when we last left off to April. It's she's she's pretty damn pregnant. You know, they came back to this marriage having made some peace with each other, but also didn't really solidly choose it so much as were resigned about it. So you don't know what you're walking into. No, that's still a mystery. We 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 had in season one to two, it was watching Betty get wise with the therapist and mentioning it. And that's a very subtle sort of you could say passive aggressive way to tell Don that she knows because she knows that the doctor's reporting back to Don. When we open season two, we're left to fill in the blanks as to what happened. Did they reconcile? Are they on good terms? Did she? Did he get the point? Did he get the picture and the message from the doctor or not? We're again we're, until the Bobby Barrett stuff happens. We're led to believe that Don's sort of on his best behavior for this period of time, uh, whether that was all fourteen months or what have you. It wasn't a passive-aggressive anything. Betty was ready to divorce Don uh, through most of the second half of last season. And we, we saw them, them reconcile very uneasily at the end. So what's this past whatever four to six months been like? I mean, that's really an, not an unknown, but it, it's to me, it's, it's, it's still a mystery as to what this piece is like. It's still an uneasy piece. We see two two very distinct things in this episode that are indications of how this marriage is going. Thing one is this real tenderness between the two of them at a level we haven't seen much of, you know, Don being, Don, you know, taking her through a guided meditation, which wasn't even a thing, mm -hmm. you know, and really coming up with cl clearly drawing on having been in San Pedro, yeah, right? Exactly. But, you know, picture yourself in the beach and this and that, but it was, I mean, really lovely with her. Yes. That's thing one. Thing two is this this stewardess. And we'll get to that. But those are the two things you're seeing in this marriage, mm -hmm. is this kind of really loving, sweet, connected, surprisingly lovely, considering how they came to back together and what they've been through. And this- Don back on the prowl. Sleazy, resigned, it's, it's icky. Yeah, he didn't have to take more than one look at that, that uh, stewardess to- <laughs> 
<laughs> to know what was going to happen. Yeah. Now, there's something that you mentioned that I realize we've never unpacked. So we're going back now. We are we're going back to season end of season one. Do 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 do. You alluded to Doctor Wayne going back and telling Don that Betty knows that he's a cheater. That is never confirmed. And in fact, that's not what you think either? No, I'm saying it's presumed. It's presumed that Betty- I don't think so. I think think Betty finding out that Don and Dr. Wayne have been talking, which she knows from the phone bill, that the next time she goes to see him, she starts planting information that presumably is for Don's ears. But that doesn't mean Dr. Wayne tells him no, it does not. I'm saying that that it was her intention and we're left to fill in this mystery of how did they get to this, you know, Don's now wearing cardigans and being a good boy and playing bridge with the, with the, with the neighbors, right? That was not right. the Don for most of season one. It's just very interesting that with all the season one wrapping up we've ever done, we, we've never, we've never talked about this. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I think, here's what I think. I'll tell you what I think. <laughs> I don't think Dr. Wayne told him. I think Dr. Wayne was overwhelmed by it. I'm, I know I'm making all of this up, but this is for, but I'm like solidly thinking this. Okay. I think Dr. Wayne was like, I'm in too deep. I don't think Dr. Wayne has the nerve to tell Don, you're a cheater. I think he calls Don and he says, she's better or she's impossible. One or the other, but we should discontinue. Don, who never wanted to pay for it anymore. And and Betty came home and said, I, I'm quitting therapy. Like this combination of things, something in there, something in there where it didn't get said to Don, did not get back to Don what Betty told him. Well, that's one scenario. I, there's no more evidence for that than other stuff, but it's one way it could have played out. And then how the rest of it gets filled in is, you know, Don got the bejesus scared out of him by Pete Campbell. Mm-hmm. And Rachel left him. Mm-hmm. And Midge is gone. And and he killed his brother, ish. It's been a year, right? <laughs> well, but this is then. I'm saying this is the end. No, of I'm season- saying it's been a year for Don, 1960, right? Right, 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 exactly. So I think he got scared straight, if you will. Okay. I don't think I don't think it required. I don't think it required a call from Doctor Wayne. I don't think he was like, "Oh shit, I better behave." And then because at, and then at the same time, you've got Betty. Developing her steel, as you like to say, we see we see yeah. Betty on the horse, right, right. At, at the beginning of this of season two. So that's I, I that's just my I've never thought. No, we can. There's a lot of holes to fill in that that a viewer can fill in a lot of ways, all all legitimately. I've just never thought that the doctor ratted him out. I don't. Yeah, I, I, we don't have evidence that he did that. The only thing that we do see, objectively, regardless of what happened with the doctor, was that. Betty certainly planted that information with him that we do that we should presume was intended for Don to hear whether or not it happened. Absolutely. Okay, so that alone. And then when we jump forward 14 months, Don's let's just let's just if we can agree, I I certainly think he's on his best behavior. He's trying yes. on his best behavior. And there was a few even I think in the in the in the in the uh pilot or the pilot the, the first episode of season 2, there's a couple references to Don sort of like you know, what do you want me to do? Or I'm just, I'm not going to get into this. Like, you know, referencing some other, you know, past, past conversations that they must have had. So however that played out, I take that to mean Don was sort of, Betty told him without telling him whether that was through Dr. Wayne or she said something that made it evident. 
to him, you know, he got the me- he got the message then. And that was with Betty not knowing who it was, not knowing Rachel, not knowing anything, you know, specific. And then by the end of season two, it's Jimmy Barrett, you know, pointing at at the two of them going, look at look at look at them over there. So it it advanced many, many magnitudes. It's unknowable. But my point is it's not It's unknow it's unknowable. Un- unknowable. Yes. It's not unknown. It's unknowable. Again, these are fictional people. Interesting. It's it, it, that's this one really big thing is 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 a mystery, and we never and we never resolve it, and we've never even tried to until just now. And we're not sure its ramifications as a result. That's right. You know. That's right. So hmm. anyway, a full, no, that was good. Full season, that was a full season later, <laughs> we're we talked about uh, Bert Peterson getting canned, and we meet this Lane Price character, clearly a new a new character in the midst. I can't speak for everyone here, but um, I like you. And I like you. <laughs> but uh, you don't know me. But I will make that effort if given the opportunity. Uh, pardon? Jared Harris is such a wonder. Jared Harris is oh. brilliant. And you know what I love? I mean, this is going to sound weird, but I love that they pick a British actor. And there's always there's always been talk with Mad Men about how they were told, you know, you can't work out and be like buff the way people, you know, a, a, a gorgeous actor right. in in 2010 is not the same as a gorgeous person or businessman in, in 1960, right? There was... No, and even the movie stars, the beautiful bodies of, of looked very 1961 different. didn't look like Brad Pitt. Yeah, it's just now. fitness was different, diet was different, yeah. everything was different. Jared Harris... You know, the teeth aren't really fixed, and he kind of looks like a regular guy coming from London to live in New York, right? Like it's a it's a very unvarnished look. Even John Hooker is a is he's very skinny, he's very pale, yes, he's not pasty. it doesn't matter because the accent gets him gets him all the he's miles, a pasty right? Pasty Brit. But hundred percent I mean Jared Harris Jared, I mean, I love him and but his his skin is lacking a certain luster. Yeah, there's no vitamin D. <laughs> but character wise. You know, this guy's just literally plopped down on Burt Cooper's couch that they're talking about, boom, how are we going to handle this and blah, blah, blah. And of course, Roger's late to the meeting. It's like super embarrassing. Oh, it's that meeting. Yeah. (laughs) Wasn't easy. Right. Lane Price, just there's absolutely no, we talk about no exposition. I mean, zero exposition. We're just, we're just, there's a dude with an accent with glasses that seem to reflect whatever lights are in the room. You can't see his eyes. Running shit. Yeah, he's clearly the man with the plan. You do get, you might remember this better than me, somewhere some there's an allusion to that he's he's not pulling the strings. Oh, right, that it's London, right. I remember Don kind of being like, is there going to be a lot more of these? Like, they're clearly, this has been ongoing, and everybody's on edge, right? Pete's asked to call, you know, when Pete goes in, he's, he's asked about it. Right. And he's on edge. So, yeah, everybody's, like, now... There's, you know, whatever it is, there's outplacement and here's your package. And, you know, I'm not saying it's 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 any better now to be let go, but I'm just saying, like, this was literally like London says you're fired. <laughs> you're fired. Right. That's kind of it. Well, layoffs, in my experience, they're usually done. I mean, they always say they're over and then they might be more, but they usually do it in a in a big batch. And, it, and it's very organized. To Joan's point, Joan is like, if you freaking consult with HR, because mm-hmm. she's sort of HR, we'll make sure everything gets taken care of. Yeah, exactly. 
so that, you know, this doesn't happen. And now, you know, now companies are very good at, at how to fire people, but also they usually do a big batch all at once. And then, and then you kind of know it's over. Right. I mean, you hope it's over. But in 1963, it's just, it's just a culture conflict. Culture wasn't a word. So it's just going to be big one conflict after another of Joan saying, you're not doing this right. And Bert Peterson, you know, throwing a shit fit and all of this rather dramatic, <laughs> dramatic stuff makes for a good episode though. <laughs> so that's our introduction to Lane, which is, is wonderful because he is a character that we'll see a great deal of. We get to see what a British-owned agency in New York in 1963 a little bit is like. One of those things, of course, is this <laughs> Machiavellian uh, situation, or as Don says, is this Cooper playing God or Darwin, which is another great line, um, <laughs> to have that both Pete, have Pete and Ken named head of accounts, which of course means the agency is split between the two of them. And they want them to um, cockfight in the middle of the ring with everybody shouting and making bets on the sidelines, which is pretty much what's going to happen. It's it's really crazy. It's really crazy. Machiavellian is correct. Pete took it so over the top (laughs) that he killed my ability to feel bad for him in a situation where I really did feel like that really was a a fuck of a move. Because we've seen Pete in this whole grasp for that all along. Duck is out of the picture. Duck was going to make him head of accounts. But I mean, he said you're head of accounts. Like it was a it was a complete mindfuck. Oh, it's a dick move again. It's it's a total, totally inappropriate way to handle anything. Then of course you get the contrast with, with Kenny Cosgrove, who is just like you know Mr. Bright Sunshine. Amazing, right? Right, and it just every line out of his mouth is is conciliatory <laughs> and genuine and anyway it plays out along those lines you know throughout the season but what we get actually is this, <laughs> this um what madman does great which is elevator discussions yes <laughs> quick 90 second 60 second conversations in which neither party is really on the same page with the other we've seen it with Roger and Peggy, we've seen it with Don and other, you know, and it's it's going to be a staple of the whole series. So watch out. But we get we get Ken and Pete riding the elevator where each one thinks they're consoling the other to some degree. They're consoling the other and receiving congratulations. That's right. They're compliment that because they're complimenting each other. It's wild. Each of their heads is only in one place and it's not the same place. And understandably, I mean, they, it's so and funny. They've been fucked with, no question. They've been totally fucked with. <laughs> so that's the kind of setup. And you see, you see, I love the scene where Joan's reading down the list of accounts, which is, we could do a podcast on that list of accounts all by itself, right? Just Secor laxatives and Admiral Television. And Gordon, Gordon's, Gordon's uh, scrot of the fish. It was like something. a family reunion. <laughs> like, oh, the rejuvenator. Right, exactly. <laughs> or the relax. Yeah, that's the new name. Relax. It went. That's why we always mix it up. It went from relaxicizer to rejuvenate. Am I right? I ju- Is it wrong again? I, I'll shut I up. I just call it a good Friday night. So <laughs> that scene where they're there. And Pete's like steam coming out of his ears. And Ken, <laughs> that look that Ken gives him, where it's like, can you believe this? We're, we're actually doing this? <laughs> and Pete's like ready to pull out a gun and shoot him. 
And um, and he's got one right in his yeah, office. Yeah, he's got the shotgun. As far as we know. <laughs> that um, you know sets the whole thing up beautifully. So I, it's just so much fun to watch that. Uts. Wait, I don't get Uts. Yeah, Dude. you figure that out. <laughs> That's a great callback. What I loved also. Again, like, how's this marriage doing? Mm-hmm. Pete and Trudy Campbell in this episode. The Dosens are over for lunch. They have got their shine on. <laughs> they are like a power couple. They are speaking the same language to each other. We don't know anything about where they are with parenthood. But for now, I guess Pete got over Peggy <laughs> after declaring his true love for Peggy yeah. and then finding out she'd, you know, given away his baby. The two of them together are just. It's great. Delightful. You want to see Allison Brie. <laughs> Every bit of their dialogue, you know, I'm drunk. Good for you. Let's have dinner. All of that. And then the bad news drops in between. Right. Make a reservation. You you surprise me to her showing up in that fabulous pillbox hat. <laughs> and, you know, suddenly he's he's this ruined ruined miserable child <laughs> and in between we get the dance we get what i call the the uh, Mont- montgomery burns dance <laughs> no if there was a pete campbell in 1963 who just got a promotion he's been dying for, that's precisely the dance. Those are the moves. The, that was him expressing his freedom. It was. And and it looked ridiculous, but it, it was legit. It was legit. It was legit. 100%. 100%. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Pete and Trudy are um, in their version of Marital Bliss. And, you know, it all goes to shit, of course, for, 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 for Pete. I also love when um, Pete goes into Don's office to talk to him about this and then has to change his whole yeah. demeanor when because Roger's, Roger's in there, <laughs> exactly. right? Oh, it's just such a great, and you're like, oh, that's right. He's going to talk to Don because he and Don now actually have enough of a relationship that once every few months, he's allowed to go into his office and bitch about something or get his or get his feedback. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're having drinks together, but no, they can do this. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and Roger's come in with the Stoli bottle. That's all happening, and it takes us on this trip to Baltimore to see London Fog for Sal and Don. What I love about this trip to the factory that we're going to talk about after our break is this guy who runs the whoever's that bald guy who runs the brand, Mister Fog. Mister Fog. <laughs> Fog Senior um, has a legitimate Baltimore accent. Yes, I mean an absolute perfect accent. What I hate on these shows. Overbloated fake accents. Well, or just no accent. Someone will be from Philly and there'll be no accent. They'll talk like they're from friggin', you know, East LA or something. Like just it just makes no sense. If anybody's watched um Better Call Saul, a good part of the action in a couple of episodes in the first season or two is like in the mean streets of Philly. Nobody has a Philly and this is a terrific show. Better Call Saul's a phenomenal friggin' show. And no, not a Philly accent in the whole goddamn episode. It's it, it's insane how little attention they pay to these things. You cannot have fifty characters be from Philly or Baltimore. I or- think Mad Men does well with with dialects in general. I hate when a show is too heavy handed with the accent. Yeah, everybody in Boston sounds like the cop on this 
on The Simpsons. <laughs> I mean, neither you nor I sound like the Jersey Shore people. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that when I lived in, I did radio down in Maryland, what they said to me was, they, it, my friends who knew me in person, then they heard me on the radio and they were like, oh, you don't have as much of an accent on the radio. I was like, accent? What <laughs> right, do you mean? Exactly. <laughs> so we do have accents, but but they are, there are degrees. No, and I hate when it's just, you're washed over with one, one degree of an accent for an entire precisely. region. Everybody's different. Yep. Anyway, with that. Break time. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to Baltimore. Good morning, Baltimore. Every okay. So Don and Sal now are on this, I don't know, you know, 92 minute flight down to Baltimore. And there's immediately this intrigue with um this gorgeous southern um belle of a stewardess on the flight who immediately flirts with Don. And Don, this is like um, you know, the uh the cameo he did on 30 Rock. <laughs> I do. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> 100% do. Where, where he doesn't understand what it's like to not be a hot guy. And so the flight attendant's flirting with him, clearly. And Sal's like, I've never had someone, you know, come on to be like that. And it's like, you, you know, as viewers, we're like, well, you're a good looking guy, Brian Bat, but you're no, you're no John Hammy over here. I've flown a few times, but I've never actually seen a stewardess that game. Really? Don now has his evening planned in his head because he knows what where that's going. Um, and again, it's it's our first indication also that Don's back on the prowl because we don't know where things stand with Betty and the marriage and everything else. But we, the fact that he was not he was not resistant to her charms, even sitting in, I guess it was first class, but whoever whatever that was, that you know, okay, so this is old Don, new old Don, old new Don, you know, one of those. Oh, and there's a great line there too. I don't know the whole thing about um, uh, William Hofstadt's luggage. You know, the Don took the uh, uh, Betty packed the valise, which is a great word. I love anytime we can use the word. I valise. love the word valise. We don't say it often enough. That um, Betty packed it so she might have packed that it was William's actual piece of luggage, and so his name was on it. So she thought his name was Hofstad, which is kind of jarring and funny. Right there, and he says he has no problem putting his name on other things or things that aren't his. I forget it, but whatever the line was. But it was a great line for someone who literally put his name on another human being or took the name of another human being and put it on himself. <laughs> what happens with Shelley might be an indication that Don is constantly cheating currently. Mm-hmm. Or the identity switch that happens that quickly and that casually. But I think that game of suddenly I'm Bill Hofstadt mm-hmm. does something to Don. Between that <laughs> and his birthday. Well, we see a state of mind with the flashbacks. Yeah. So I, I'm not saying it was it was necessarily this this dry spell where he was being good and then suddenly this is what turned it. But it is possible. It gave him permission. Yes, something something about that identity thing, because then when he gets at dinner, when he goes further with it and we're kind of spies. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, it's it's, he's something happens there. Don, someone again, we know he's his whole life is an act. His whole life is is someone else's. And now here's another sort of, I don't know, perversion of that inversion of that version of that of him being someone else. And he kind of takes to it (laughs) just like in Korea on the spur of the moment, kind of jumps right into to someone else's 
personality or or, or 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 persona. And now with no with no guilt and with no anything, something got unleashed this evening. It's an interesting theory for sure. And I don't think it's a big unleash. Like I don't think it's like again, I don't think it's like Bobby Barrett breaking a 14 month dry spell. He may or may yeah, not no, no, have no. been being good. It's not like a massive turn in his life. No, this didn't feel like a um some kind of seminal moment for Don. This was w- one of a string of, you know, philanderings that um that he's that he's probably been involved with. But this is the one that we see on this trip to Baltimore. And yeah, you're right. He just he he just took to it like like a chameleon, just ready to go, which of course is Don. And well, I don't remember the name of that restaurant. It's a famous restaurant in Baltimore, but I don't think I recognized it. We do have a blog that has cultural references, cultural references and more. I love that on Mad Men, they'll always reference like a restaurant in a town that's like known in that town. It's always very specific. They charm the pilot and charm the the stewardesses. And of course, Don's Don and Shelly make their way up to Don's room. And that scene in the hallway is, I don't know, it's really, it's very poignant because you see Don struggle. Yeah. And again, for for someone who is legitimately, you know, for all the qualities, and we've gone over this, Don's attribute, he's, he's still a shit, right? Like he's just a shit. But he's a twisted up shit. And that's what keeps us intrigued. Well, like Melinda, Melinda McGraw, hurt people, hurt people, yeah, right? That's right. I mean, she didn't make that up, but she she said that about Don uh, on our interview. So it's very resonant in this episode. They're in the hallway, he and Shelley, and you know, he's just you see him struggling with everything: the the marriage and his identity and his burden, and he can't say what's going on. Not that he would tell this to a stranger anyway. He's he's almost having this conversation with himself. Mm. And the fact that another Melinda McGraw comment, you know, that he's a sex addict. That's so right. that he's sex is just how how all this comes out in, in lots of ways. So certainly that's what we're seeing here. And Don being better looking than your average guy, I guess you could say, does not have does not struggle. <laughs> I love her. What are we doing? And I'm like, dude. What do you mean? What are we doing? You're are are you unclear what we're doing? <laughs> like you literally came up with the move to get off of the floor with him, and st- like it was you amazing. Know what? I I find that I find that very great writing in the sense that just you know I'll I'll, I'll never claim to know women, but, but <laughs> you know that's a that's that's not. I mean, even even I've seen that move right where it's like. You can't you can't do the thing you want that's illicit or wrong without speaking how illicit or wrong it is before actually doing yes, it. Yes, and getting a little bit of and actually what you what she's doing with that. I'm I'm glad I'm glad to actually dive into this line. What she's actually doing is pretending that she doesn't know what she's doing so that she doesn't have to be <laughs> exactly. responsible for it and also trying right. to get him to pretend with her, which he doesn't. Well, yes, absolutely, and and kind of take the lead, right? I, I she wants to be seduced. She's been doing the seducings thus far. That's right. That is true. But I found it entirely, you know, plausible and no, yeah, you're correct. True to life. It's good writing. It's very astute writing. They're about to do what they do. The actual steps of seduction are something we haven't seen with Don. It was. It's not that we haven't seen it with Don before. Don being a little playing a little domination game with her was 
how do I put this? Coming from Don Draper, it's a little rote. Right. It's a little, you're now you know you're watching the addiction. Right. There's no joy in Don. There's at there's all. no joy in Don. <laughs> and there's like, how am I gonna turn this up so that I can feel something? That goes back to the what Melinda McGraw said. How do I, I don't feel anything at all? I, I'm right. not gonna feel anything here. So I need to just like, you know, it's it's like cutting. I hate to mm. it's like he no, that's he, interesting. He had to do something. He had to toy with her even more. I don't think he has much respect for her. This isn't Rachel Mencken that he sees as some kind of a match for him or anything like that. And he doesn't dislike her. It's not even, you know, I the way I just said it could could even make it sound like it's malicious. It's not malicious. It's just she's no. she's not required. <laughs> you know, it's like whoever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to some extent, she's there. Right is kind of it. But again, it's not by accident that she's. The stunning woman. I mean, that is part of the character's essence is that she's a beautiful woman who's on this uh, on this flight. And younger. That's right. Until Joy, we hadn't seen her with younger, <laughs> him, uh, Don with younger. Correct. What we saw was Correct. Don turned down, I mean, teenagers, but still, what we saw was Don, Don had only slept with women in his age group from what we had seen. That we know of. From yeah. what we had seen. Mm-hmm. And then Joy... Was the Joy was the first one that was substantially younger, and now, mm-hmm. now I mean, this woman is very young. So now his his standards are lowering, is what we're seeing, or we're seeing it. We don't know which. Uh, yeah, I mean, she's not a kid. No, she's not. She's, she's not, not a kid, and she's know, not terrible. But it's just he's no, it's indiscriminate. Right. You know, for Don, <laughs> Don, 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 you know, Don's floor is someone else's ceiling. I think even with Joy, there was something affecting about Joy until, like, mm-hmm. it wasn't just that she was a hot young girl. It was, there was something intriguing about her. Oh, sure. And about, you know, the, her whole world until that bubble yeah. got burst. There's nothing intriguing about Shelley. No. Nothing. Nothing mysterious or exotic or anything. She's fine. She's lovely. She's adorable. She's very, very pretty. But that's, she's, there's nothing of substance there that he's interested in. And he's been interested in every woman. I'm going to, I will, I think even Joy, there was something interesting. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. There was something stimulating. Not just sexually. Like it was something intriguing, something Again, allure, alluring. Exactly. He was he was stimulated. Um, his mind was stimulated by each of them some, some, somewhere along the way. I absolutely agree. Felt self-conscious there for a moment. We're the only ones without a uniform. <laughs> Good night, Bill. Sam. Shelly, it's been a swelly. This guy, this guy picks Sal. It could have been out of a thousand men. This guy was going to pick Sal. That's <laughs> the guy. Clocking is clocking, baby. He looked, he took one look at Sal and he knew. And that's how it's done. That's, I mean, that gay men. Have, that's what I'm saying. Always... This guy would have picked Sal out of, you know, it could have been Madison Square Garden. This guy would have picked Sal out of the 32nd row of the blue seats. He was so exactly right for Sal. He was young, but not too young. Mediterranean. Mediterranean looking. looking. He's just right. He's just perfectly right. He was. You know, this is Sal out of town. And he'd been flirting, you know, pretending to flirt with this flight attendant all evening. And uh, was all ginned up. The pen exploding in his pocket was just the worst (laughs) metaphor on the planet. (laughs) 
that, it was. It was I lame. Mean, it was. It I was mean, pathetic. That that scene in Sal's room played to me like a foreign movie. It was shot, mm-hmm. and the lighting and the sound, and the whole vibe was like some French film or European film of the day. Yeah, and the way that suddenly he's there—that's the moment. That's yeah. the, that that shot. The but even Sal flopping on the bed and the way he's like sweating and calling the calling the room and like. Everything was, it just had, the whole thing had a very European vibe. And maybe that was, I assume that was very intentional. And I'm just trying to think, well, why is this? Because here's another, you know, Sal who very much identifies with his European heritage that he's going to link up with someone who's, you know, that, that that's going to be sort of the essence of what's going on is very Sal. It's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be very, very true to Sal's makeup and his obviously his his um sexual orientation. So now the guy comes in and it really was such a coincidence. It's not like he was a waiter and he called yeah, room service just, hoping it would be uh, him. He really legitimately the AC didn't no, work. It was he was shit-faced. Now this guy was like, I'll take this one. I got this. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> like roommate 10. I oh, got yeah, it. Oh, that's for me. <laughs> that one's mine. They might have even right. been like, dude, this one's yours. <laughs> It's a clogged toilet, sir. I don't. I'm going right up. Um, yeah. So he comes and he's starting to fix it, and you know, as Sal's ready to tip the guy, he's he's the man with the plan. You're right. Even the lingering, the way they looked at the money, the camera got the money. Now these guys are are getting it on. I mean, it's just uh, full on. You know, we feel for Sal. It goes right back to Kobo Code. It goes right back to the denial. It goes right back to the the pushing away and the repression and the the heartbreaking way to live. And of course, it, it, all of this is taking place in this extremely believable environment. There's not that many pieces to put together for it to be entirely plausible. Sal, uh, Brian Bat's acting was, was so extraordinary. I mean, here's this very grown man married. kind of having his married, but also having his first kiss that feels very right. And his first everything that feels very right. Patreon members, you're going to get a little behind-the-scenes story about this scene. The one I have at home is different. hope I didn't break it. Nope, it's fine. Just a minute. Oh, thank you. I have to say, about the fire alarm itself, I feel like today, when something goes beep, the reaction is not as extreme. You're kind of like, should I leave? What's going on? We don't react as... Right, it was more urgent. With the appropriate urgency. Now, a smoke alarm today is not the same as a fire alarm was then. I think buildings burnt to the ground a lot more often. No, 100%. <laughs> like, it was a different... Like, I thought that was fascinating to witness what was... We had a thing where my smoke alarm went off in our hallway and the whole the whole building and we're all sort yeah. of coming out the hallway like, are you, does anybody know? Like, what's go? should I get the cat? At an office buildings too. It's like, I'm not, I'm not stopping my meeting right now because this is going on. Yeah, very blasé. It was, it was wild to watch them just respond in. With, yeah, they all, everybody got right like, out. Out the fucking window, go. Yep. And um, Don... Barefoot again. I don't know what that. I don't know. I guess, I guess there was some connection with his his flashbacks, right? Because Don goes out barefoot again, like he's barefoot in the first scene. 
Oh. So I always connected that. I didn't. No, that's very good. Like, I think he's, you know, we talk about the dominoes, right? So Don's state of mind is very, uh, wistful is not the word, but he's, he's, his mind is on his birth. His mind is on his, his infancy. I'll take it further. It's on all the life cycles. He's thinking about his mother's, he's going all the way back to the death of all the babies that his stepmother had, his own mother's death, the coming of his next child. Like he's really, he's really in life and death and moments and, and, and all of this. He's, he's in something. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll connect the barefoot that way. That that's very good. But out he goes with Shelly. Forget your shoes. That's right. And then you see him, you see his bare feet, his bare feet as and he well. Get, and he gives, like, he gives that instruction, like. Which is silly, right? Who would go out barefoot? That's not the thing. But on the way down, he passes the outside of Sal's room and sees, of course, the bellhop or whatever he might be to, uh, get, they're both of them getting dressed. So now Sal's found out. Yeah. As as gay, it's it's unbelievable. Like the punishment of Sal in this through this script is like Sal has one moment of almost great pleasure. Oh yeah, it instantly turns to it shit. turns to literal disaster and and his worst nightmare in terms of being being exposed. Well, here's someone who was insane, like you said, repressed, and I mean all all under the banner of being careful. I have to be. I can't just do what I may want to do. In fact, I. I, I, I so can't do what I want to do that I'm telling myself I don't want what I want. That's right. right. That's his whole life. So under all of this, he's out of town. He's away from his wife. He's away from the office. He's away from New York City. This moment's been thrust upon him, and he's going with it. He said thrust. <laughs> this moment's been stroked upon him. <laughs> this moment. And- no, we're not doing it. <laughs> But he's but but we're we're feeling the relief, right? I mean, we're we're like so with this character, and we're feeling his relief, and we're feeling his his joy at what this moment must mean. And not only does it get cut short, it ends up proving every single thing he was careful about to begin with. Yeah. What the fuck are the odds right, of right. there of of my <laughs> of my colleague? Literally climbing past my window. <laughs> Seeing me from through my window that this would happen at the exact moment Crazy. that I don't want him to. It's insane. But things happen. But of course, things like that happen every day. And we get to we get to the London Fog factory the next day. Balzac. Um Balzac. <laughs> it's never not funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's never not funny. Um, but I do love, but I do love the um, the response. Balzac, you're you're not Bert Peterson. <laughs> so good, so good. And then Don, of course, with the the big highfalutin thing about it, fat years and lean years, but it will rain. Okay, you're at an umbrella. You're at a you're at a raincoat manufacturer. So how long did you have that stored up? That whole conversation is great um, in terms of branding. I mean, that line is is not only is it a beautiful line, but it is true. London fog, two out of three raincoats people buy and have your name, have stitched, your name to stitched to them. Yeah. Going back to the stitching a name theme. Oh, just pick that up. Uh-huh. But also, it's another example of Don getting it wrong. I wonder what Pete Campbell would think of London fog 
hats, London fog umbrellas. Because the idea of branching- I thought Don Don was sort of taking the sun's side. I didn't. It'll always rain means you might need an umbrella. (laughs) Not just, not, not just, not just you only need a raincoat. Okay. I think we've got a legitimate- I saw it completely the other way. And coiners, curious what you think. Because, I mean, honestly, it's like you saw it the one way, I saw it the other way. There's no there's no right answer. There's no, there's no definitive answer. I'm not even saying that's what Don thought. I'm saying that's a perfectly legitimate interpretation of it. I don't think we know because it's kind of ambiguous and kind of like Don bullshitty, fortune cookie bullshit anyway. I felt like it was a hard no. Why would you want to change what works? No, I thought it was Don not pissing off the son or the father. <laughs> on letting it read the way people will read it and letting it be. I see. I see what you're saying, that he was, that his answer was meant to be ambiguous so that nobody gets, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. All right. Still coiners, curious what you think. Yeah. Everybody can feel like I'm agreeing with them, which is, you know, that's a very talented thing to say. My interpretation was he was, he doesn't see the future in that kind of brand equity, which is probably a more later day thing. Yeah, the sun has a very progressive view. You know, we all look at it and go, "Of course, I, 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 I you know, I, I, I bought a lot." London fog does not just mean raincoats anymore. It means literally outerwear and and accessories and all kinds. It's of stuff. become such a thing in in the decades since that we've seen it totally make sense and totally be stupid. Oh yeah, <laughs> I can't I can't think of a good example of, but there's plenty of examples where you're like, "Oh, of course." Q-tips should make a, I can't, nothing is coming to me now, but you know, some like- Poorly conceived brand extensions, right? Like a great one or a terrible one. We've seen it. We've seen both sides of it. But London Fog, it's so funny to to even imagine that 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 sounds like a bad idea to anybody. That that would be an argument. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And And I love Lane Price positioning himself as maybe the worst creative ad man in the world, which he's not, you know, getting stuck on the fact that London doesn't really have fog. Who gives a shit, Lane? It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a brand name. It, it's evocative. Who fucking cares if it's not fog in London? I think Lane was really enjoying, not enjoying. It's like when somebody knows too much about a subject and you're like, you're kind of missing the point. Right. On the one hand. But on the <laughs> other hand, I could see being from London and being like, you know, I know you all think there's London fog, but it's made up and it's soot and- you you American exceptionalism people who think you know everything, guess what? <laughs> right. I, I think if you stopped there, but he was sort of actually saying that's a horrible brand right, name right, right. because no, totally. London Fog doesn't exist. It's like, no, it's actually a great brand name. In fact, that kind of makes it better because it means somebody had to think. Anyway, so Lane's a horrible ad guy. That's what that tells me. Absolutely. Is he, doesn't, he doesn't get how it ought to work. It's like, Lane, who, who, who fucking cares, you know? So now we're there. And, you know, we kind of covered this a little bit in the top. But, yeah, limit your exposure is a horrible fucking ad. And really bad. I don't really get it. Yeah, I think we kind of covered it, actually. I don't even know what else there is to say about it. Like, like I get it. It serves a function in the script to, like, put a capper on. You know, Don couldn't, you know, completely ignore, like, have it go unremarked the fact that they both know that Don saw this guy. What's the what's the term in 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 flagrante delecto or something? Jesus, <laughs> what's the word? I don't know. I don't know the phrase, <laughs> but I'm laughing um, at it because I'm working out the math uh, on it. <laughs> flagrante delecto. Oh yeah, flagrante delecto. In the very act of wrongdoing, 
especially in an act of sexual misconduct. He had been caught in flagrante with the wife of the association's treasurer. I think that's our episode (laughs) title. There you go. In in flagrante delecto. Fucking A. See, I know shit. Okay, so (laughs) um, he caught Sal in flagrante delecto. Could not go unaddressed, right? So the ad, and Don thinks about ads. It wasn't great. Horrible ad. They just should have done something else, whatever the fuck it was. Also, just yeah. just one little, who the fuck? I mean, I, I know the flights exist, but like, why don't you just get on a train to Baltimore? Like, who like who does? I mean, I again, I know. Because the, there's, no there's no stewardesses on trains. Uh, yeah, no, why. exactly. That's exactly right. <laughs> but it really, like, then why was it Baltimore? Well, maybe that's where London Fog was based. I don't know. They seem to have a thing with London Fog. They seem to I mean, have just, a thing with Baltimore. If you're going to put them on a plane, send them know. to New Orleans. Right. There's good food there. And and Brian Bat's from there. And Brian Bat's from there. And there's hot men there of all (laughs) kinds. And there's hot stewardesses. So anyway. Some of the mysteries. So (laughs) this is one of the quietly one of the best closing scenes, I think, in Mad Men. That's a bold statement. Yeah, it is. You know, there's so many fireworks in final scenes, right, with Mad Men, right? Whether it's like Jet Set, where who's Anna and sending the poetry book out and all this stuff where, you know, these mini cliffhangers that we always talk about. So this does not get that kind of treatment. Don's home. Sally's coming in to unpack his valise. And she finds the the wings from Shelley. And of course, you know, that's if you're Don and you're great at covering up infidelities. You know, we see the look kind of flash on Don's face, but he's quickly able to, sure, Sally, those are for you. Funny how Shelly and Sally sound alike. He's pinning them on her or whatever. And this is right after Sally had apologized for breaking his for breaking suitcase, the lock. his valise. Because she didn't want him to go. she didn't right? want him to go. And she's been getting into his tools like a little lesbian. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Betty. <laughs> that was a wild, wild line. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was that whole Sally apologized and cried yep. and and don't break thing. You know, well, I'm going to take it out of your allowance. I don't get an allowance. Well, then you you can't break that. You can't break stuff. It was written and delivered as a very sweet little opening to the scene. She sees the wings. Don puts them on her, and you know, we there's this little callback, obviously, to Don's activities. And she asked. She gave him the lie. Oh, you! These were for me. You brought you brought me brought me a pre- oh you oh, brought yeah, me a present, no, no, she, right? You know, like like a kid would would do. Then she gets into you know mommy's belly. I was in there. Tell me blah 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 again. Totally, this is this is what kids do. You know, conversations that take take place very naturally. And Don starts telling the story. So what are the, what's the story? It was raining. It was the middle of the night, and I was dot 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 working. I had just come home from work. I had just come home from work. In the middle of the night. He pauses. I never got He doesn't even finish his sentence. And Betty picks it up. She finishes the story. Don was cheating the night Sally was born. Or at least went into labor with Betty. He was out somewhere with someone. And this is why I say this goes back to like, so what is the state of their marriage? Right. Oh, damn. Yeah, that's very good. I never got that. I never got it was the middle of the so night. So that pause and him not even being able to finish the sentence and, and, and add to that Betty picking it up is sort of like, 
they're now not tag teaming or like in cahoots or that she's okay with it. I'm not saying that. Mm. I don't think she realizes that that's what his pause means. No, but she's doing what she's always done. Yeah, it's not it's not something she would couldn't not have picked up on. It's very it's so subtle, but it's something. It's there. He's he <laughs> the fuck is he doing out in the middle of the night with his wife? Yeah. Right? And and the look on his face is one of absolute shame. Again, his origin story. His dad was cheating, had the the baby, blah blah. blah. So, yeah, I think it's an amazing closing of the circle of this episode. So yeah, we talk about you know great closing scenes of the series. It, it's as rich and poignant and meaningful, I think, as as any that we see. But it's not one of these big grand, you know, mysteries or cliffhangers or really or, good or plot points. But wow, it! I, I remember catching that a while back. Maybe not the first time I saw it, but maybe on on some other re- rewatch. It's it's like now it's starting to come to me. Like maybe I did re- maybe I did connect this at one point, but I forgot. But I forgot, and it just I didn't get it this time. That was really really great. I, and having seen it a couple times since, kind of picking up on it, it's unmistakable. It's not not there. If if anybody wished to go go back and watch the scene, it's it's so there. Like looking too deep in it or anything. I really believe it's there. You know, just standing ovation Beautiful. for that, for putting that in there, because, jeez. And a hell of an open door to the rest of, of season three. I mean, we now have <laughs> four million questions about what might come of all this, from Pete and Trudy's marriage, to Don and Betty's marriage, mm-hmm. to a coming baby, to a new agency, to Joan's gonna yeah. leave, to Peggy's <laughs> got a secretary. God. You know, to Sal has been outed-ish, yeah. to himself, and to Don. And it's seven months away from November <laughs> on top of all. And it's seven months away from November of 1963. What? Yeah. All right. So anyway, we're off season three. Let's take a break. Let's do it. And uh, we'll come back with quotes. Mm, quotes, Dan. Quotes. 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 So Don in the hallway. With Shelly. Oh, she says, I'm trying to think of the line right before it, where she says that she's engaged. <laughs> Which really messes Don up. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Gives gives Don pause. Um, but Don, you know, as a way of saying, obviously, like, oh, should I be doing this? So in a way, this is kind of like my last chance. You know, she's, she's, you know, batting it back and forth herself. And Don says, I've been married a long time. You get plenty of chances. <laughs> Man, that's for a guy who's, you know, we talked about him, his struggle, right? But that puts such a an eloquent point on his struggle to me, just as a viewer. I don't know. It just, it rang out among everything else that was really well done about the episode that rang oh, out. Oh, yeah. And it's it's also a very dark thing to say to this young woman. And like, again, where she's not required, like if he gave two shits about her, maybe he wouldn't have said that, but that <laughs> is not, not like, that is not what she wanted to hear. That is not a panty drop. No. Is what that it, well, is. It didn't, <laughs> not a didn't get in the way, but it, it was. Well, he's Don Draper. Nothing's getting in the way, but it was. that's not what you say if you're really concerned about. I mean. Missing your chance. Not, again, where, where she says these things looking for some commiseration and support. That's right. And a mirror. No. And he's like, yeah, no, no. Well, look at her. Again, look at her. She's a female Don Draper in the looks department. So, you know, Don has women throwing themselves at him. 
she's got men throwing like who would immediately you know console her it'll be okay you don't have to <laughs> don's completely don's like you have no idea what i'm dealing with <laughs> you cannot fathom what's on my shoulders right now it's my birthday you're not hearing me <laughs> it's my birthday yeah, this and my, is and my ID, not, not and my ID, not meant for the long run. I just yeah. got two. Oh my god, this is so silly. He says the thing about she's like, "Show me your driver's license," and he's like, "No, that won't help." But that's <laughs> it's because he's a spy. <laughs> yeah, honey, the FBI doesn't let me share my ID with him. I don't have my real ID. If he, if he kept that up the whole time, I mean, you know? technically, like, he did. It's so yeah, funny. play it out. Oh right. my god. Never give it up. All right. Don't break character. Bert Cooper kind of says out loud to anyone listening or to himself <laughs> as everybody as everybody comes into Don Draper's office, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier, right? Pete Rogers there, <laughs> Pete comes in. It was like the end of a Mary Tyler Moore episode. I was going to say you know, it, was like a, it was like a Marx Brothers. <laughs> it was like a Marx <laughs> Brothers movie, right? Yeah. Everybody's just showing up. But uh Bert says I don't care what they say. London Fog is a great name. <laughs> and for me, again, you know, we talked about, obviously, that Jar- Jared, that Lane Price missed the point. Yeah. Um, but also, it was about, don't fuck with my American view. And <laughs> yeah. you people are fucking with my American view. It was, it was... You know, it's the first episode of the season. We are setting the stage. Bert is having little bits of regret. Bert is now part of somebody who comes into Don Draper's office for solace. Yeah, exactly. And it, I, I, although I, I would, I would tweak that slightly to say I don't think it's regret. I'm sure he enjoys the money that he got from these people, but I think it's the cultural inference. Yeah. Of of don't don't fuck with how I view things. Yes. Don't fuck with my team. You're fucking with my staff. You're fucking with my employees. And yeah, sure, technically they're your employees now, but don't 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 tell me how to do my job. Right. And he's he's you know he's the fuck do you know? He's a little castrated now, right? Yeah, totally. But I don't think it's regret in the sense of like, oh, why did we do it? I think it's more like I'm I'm struggling to live with the consequences of what I knew I had to yes, do. Yes, that's that's a better <laughs> right. articulation. Which is different from regret. Yeah, no, but, I was uh, but to yeah, your point. yeah. I was saying like a little pang of something, and that's that's actually it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like, oh, this isn't uh, great. <laughs> okay, season three, we're off. We are off. What is next week? What is? Oh, is it Love Among the Ruins? Jesus Christ! I love that one. Okay, so I've got in flagrante delecto things to do <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next time we'll see you next time <laughs> bye everybody bye. Hey Coiners, we're so glad you're enjoying the show. One of the best ways to support us is to give us rave reviews on Apple Podcasts and to share us on social media. A great way to literally support us is at our Patreon, where we've got some extra content. Patreon.com slash theycoinditpod. If you're able, we love you either way. And we love your comments and your questions. Bring them on. Questions at theycoinditpod.com or find us on Instagram, Twitter, at TCI Mad Men Pod. We've got a lot more Mad Men to get to, and we can't wait. See you next episode.